Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. I'm talking to Stephen and Seth, as usual. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. How are you? Uh, great. Seth, how are you? Uh, I can't complain. Um, I mean, I could, but... Nobody, nobody really gives a shit. So you know, <laughs> uh, we are not gonna segue with the weather today. After my comment last week that I that I do that too often, but I must remark on the fact that even though it is, uh, I assume, blisteringly hot in New York, too Stephen mm-hmm. Stephen has a very thick wool very. cap on, which I was just I was just complimenting uh, him on. Uh, the space to indulge in uh, quixotic impulses. So <laughs> I appreciate that. It's pretty quixotic. I love the fact that it just it makes him look so crunchy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, like I really want, like, I expect Stephen any second to offer me granola. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> well, <laughs> you got the visual, you got the commentary. You can <laughs> <on those> <laughs> uh, so, uh, okay. So today uh, we wanted to, to you know, we're, we're doing our best to, to try and be a bit more free-ranging with our topics because we're kind of wearing each other out on talking about race or Trump or, you know, whatever. So, um, so uh, Stephen proposed the topic, which is a, gr- it was a great one. Uh, so, Stephen, you want to talk to us about what we're talking about today? Sure, absolutely. I th- so I've been thinking a lot about music and how it's informed my art practice. And my art practice has been largely been writing, but now I've moved into filmmaking and photography. And the question I had for Seth and Travis was, you know, how does or does it inform their own practices? And so we've talked, like I said, like about Trump and we talk about politics, but something really excited me about the idea of finding out what Travis and Seth, if they use music in the way that I use it or, or feel it or, or um, experience it, I was excited about it because um, I'm always interested in what other people do to maintain and, and experience um, their lives fully. So like, I remember I still constantly tell people, it's like, what do you do if you don't listen to music? (laughs) A big part of my life. And I, I told both of them, uh, through an email that from, since I was a young kid, I was always listening to music. I loved taking a 45 or an al- an LP and just playing it and just listening to it and opening up an album and reading the liner notes and finding out who the producers were, who the players were. And just, you know, for no other reason than just because it excited me and I thought it was interesting. And so music, I play music when I write and then there's so, I mean, if I'm writing something that requires me to write, so for say for grants or something more, I'm straight ahead. I'm listening to, um, I'm listening to orchestra music. I'm listening to uh, composers like Philip Glass or Beethoven or Keith Jarrett. And if I'm listening to pop music, it's usually because I'm writing something poppy or I'm doing my journal. And I just love that. It's almost like there's someone in a room with me talking to me. My parents' music, Miles Davis, uh, Billie Holiday, Janis Joplin. And I had a sister who passed in 92 who was older than me. And so I got all of her music from the 70s in terms of super groups like Earth, Wind and Fire, the Commodores and so folks like that. And since I grew up in Ohio, I, I listened to country music. I listened to soft and po- hard, hard rock. I listened to um, punk, funk, and all of that was there for me. I love listening to and thinking about music as a way to make the world better, <laughs> my world better specifically, um, but hopefully the world in a lot of ways. So I'll stop there and ask you, Seth or, Tra- or Travis, what do you guys 
kind of talk a little bit about what you talked about in the email exchange. So, so Travis, I'd like you to go first, um, but I do want to, before you do, I just want to just make a quick comment on what Stephen just said, because it struck me that one of the things that music seems to be doing for you, Stephen, is it's also a kind of, um, it sort of, it feels like it augments your energy, like wherever your energy is, like whatever, because you describe the different kind of projects you do and how the music that you listen to sort of mirrors the energy of that particular uh, project. And so it feels like it resonates, literally it resonates, like the music helps you, whatever you're doing, it resonates underneath that, that endeavor and, oh, yeah. and gives it lift. Like a vibratory harmonics, absolutely, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I kind of, I kind of focus. Um, so you, your experience. I, I wonder if our experience of listening to music may not be similar in some ways, but in one particular way, it is very different. I cannot really work productively if I am listening to anything, but but pretty tightly circumscribed genres. And and even within those genres, uh, more subdued... Uh, uh, more subdued works. So, you know, like, I could... You know, so I, I think I mentioned in the email, you know, if, if I'm writing, um, then classical, jazz, but not classical in a somnolent kind of way. I mean, it, I'm sorry, rather, it must be sort of somnolent-inducing classical music. Like, if it's something really rousing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, like Stravinsky. Mahler. <laughs> yeah, Mahler. I was going to say Mahler, Stravinsky, something like that. Like, right. uh, that takes me out of whatever I'm doing and, you know, sort of, like, pulls me into the music. Um, jazz is a little less... But even there, that's not entirely true. I mean, I, I suspect that I am the far by by a wide margin the least tutored about jazz compared to the two of you. So my my familiarity is limited. Uh, but even there, you know, like you know, Seth, you had mentioned sketches of Spain. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I could really write listening to sketches of Spain. I, I just mm-hmm. I suspect that is uh, that would also pull me into it. So. Uh, I don't have the same facility for uh, using music to focus me in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Seth? Uh, I have a similar, I don't want to call it malady, but I mean, in, in the context <laughs> of, in the context of St- Stephen's really sort of joyous um, um, celebration of music in, in, in more aspects of his life, it feels like it feels like I'm missing out. But I have a similar thing in that. When I write, and you know, both of you know, and perhaps people listening will also have grokked this, that I spend most of my life writing. I spend a lot of my life, therefore, reading, and quite a bit of it editing, but the majority of my productive time is writing, spent writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't listen to anything with lyrics. I just <laughs> cannot. And, and generally speaking, I can do orchestral music. Similarly, I'm, uh, I, I can't listen to anything that's like, got a lot going on. I need to be able to sort of, in fact, in fact, I'm, I'm reminded of something that we shared via email. When I was an undergrad, I developed this trick for being able to stay up late and get papers done um, because I had this horrible mm-hmm. habit of leaving one or two days before I had like, you know, a five or seven or 10 page paper due, sure, which is ri- yeah. ri- ridiculous, but you know, undergrads are generally ridiculous. Anyway, uh, the, the part of the ritual was getting a large um, two-liter bottle of um, seltzer water, mixing mm-hmm. that with orange juice, 
And then having that, so it's like half and half. So it's because orange juice by itself is way too sweet for me. Have that. And I felt like both the, the vitamin C and the, and the bubbles like kept me kind of, you know, perked up. Because um, I, can't, I can't do coffee, um, too much coffee during the day. It just doesn't work for me. Anyway, and then I had this album by Jean-Michel Jarre called En Entendant Cousteau, which is Waiting for Cousteau. And mm-hmm. it's just very sort of ethereal, sort of light touch um, synthesizer with whale sounds sort of echoing, yeah, sort of, sort of languorously in the background. So I a would sli- do a this... A slightly thing. more intellectual version of Enya or something Right, like right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. And I would just, li- I would have this song repeat and I would just listen to it over and mm-hmm. over and over mm-hmm. again while I work. And while I, and and it helped. I mean, it got me through essentially mm-hmm. that 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 combination of things of stimuli got me through undergrad. Now, because I've had a a, a, a bit of a hearing problem of late, um, I'm very careful not to go to places where I have to listen to loud mu- music really loudly. And by the by, mm-hmm. finding places to hang out in New York for adults where there isn't loud music playing is hard. Dude, it might be impossible actually. Right? (laughs) To holler to the person next to. Oh my God. Just have a conversation in restaurants, even music at venues, you know, just. Yeah, it's pretty. um, I'm not sure what the culture is about though. It's ridiculous. That's true. You. Uh, you know that that's true in California too, Seth. I mean, from yeah. your time out here, yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. it's a it's just endemic. I hate it. It's an American uh, thing. I mean, I mean, it makes me. You know, I uh, somewhat uh, self in a self deprecating way. I, I call myself old, but I don't know. I just want to be able to fucking talk to people. Right. I don't think that makes me old. Right. Like I just I right. think you know. Right. Yeah, I just you know I just want to be able to like. What are other people doing? I I, I wonder. You know, my, and my wife and I will talk about this. And like, what are other people saying in these venues that they are able to drown one another out with music that loud? I just right. don't. Is it just like grunts or just like <laughs> gesticulations or some, something? Some vocal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some vocal. I think it's an acceptance of the whole culture of just loud music. I am older. I'm 52, and so I just don't. I prefer to one talk with people when I go out. Two, if I'm going to a performance, then I want to be close to the musicians. So I don't want to watch a screen, and I don't want to be so far back that even the screen looks ridiculous to me. You know, I want to see the performers up front. And I think because of capitalism, because it's get as many asses in the seats, you can't to see musicians rather than um, arenas and whatnot. So. So I can totally relate to what you're both saying about, you know, just going places and wanting to be with people <laughs> and not have that third person be the loud, loud mouth music here, you know. So there's two questions I have for both of you, uh, which, which the conversation has lead, led me to, to think of. One is recalling one of the best birthday presents I have ever, ever received from my then, Jen- uh, then girlfriend, Jennifer. Jennifer took me to, I think, I think it was two things, actually. I think it was the same night. She took me to a Lakers game, which was great. I think it was my first one. But then she took me to this small-ass venue somewhere in L.A. I don't remember where it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that it was a small hall that couldn't have held more than, like, 250, 300 people. Mm-hmm. And on stage was Stevie Wonder singing. 
with what? like a small band. I know it was ridiculous. It was amazing. Yeah, amazing. And she did it right. Like it was a small, small, small venue. So, because I couldn't stand arenas either because the sound is always bad. You're always too close to the speaker, too far away, too far from, the, you know, all of that. It's just a hot mess. But this place was perfect. So I want to ask both of you, one, have you ever had, uh, like, what, are your, what is one of your favorite music experiences, live or otherwise? But, like, that one stands out for me. And then later on, I have another question. Travis, go right ahead. I'm still thinking about mine. <laughs> uh, so I would probably just have to go with a generic, although the experiences are not generic, but my own experience of just allowing myself to listen to music. I think I mentioned this in the email that I do not have a problem if I'm listening to music to sort of let myself go um, mm. and uh, in, and become submerged in, in what I happen to be listening to. And lyrics are a pretty powerful or aspect of that, which is one reason... That has nothing to do with kind of an an aristocratic uh, snobbishness, why I don't like a lot of pop music. Not because the, I mean, the quality of the music is, of course, superb. These are very talented people making this music, but the lyrics are usually just stupid. So vapid. Oh, no, they're stupid. It doesn't connect. Yeah, they're just just really, (laughs) just dumb, right? It just, it can't, I, I, I can't really, there's nothing for me to grab onto in that way. So, Mm -hmm. um, so, but for me, um, probably, uh, you know, let's, let me be as specific and concrete. This is representative. It is not uh, solely unique, but um, seeing the stage production of Hedvig and the Angry Inch Ooh. in New York about two years ago, the okay. revival when Neil Patrick Harris did it. Okay. Okay. Um, and I had, I knew the soundtrack previously. I didn't see the original production, but, um, and I had what I have dubbed in a somewhat treacly way, a New York moment, mm-hmm. um, because, um, I felt, uh, I have these moments of, con- you know, oneness, uh, where, um, if, if mm. music at the right time will take me someplace, mm-hmm. um, and, listening to uh, The Origin of Love uh, in that setting um, with uh, all those people was uh, deeply moving to me. And I will throw in as a very quick, uh, another example of what brought me to this idea of a New York moment was actually an evening with Seth. Mm. He and I found this random little bar named uh, Trader Vic's, um, Mm. which is, uh, and and we were in there and, the the uh, fun song some oh. nights came on and uh, I like that song a lot uh, but what really uh, kind of pushed it home for me was the bartender uh, turned the song up really loudly and there were these uh, like weird Swedish uh, tourists behind us that were talking about like croonings or some shit like that and the bartender looked the bartender looked at Seth and I and said. Uh, my best friend uh, was just killed two weeks ago, and this was his favorite song. And and I just in that moment, um, it, I personally felt you know a deep human connection mm-hmm. in that wow. place and with this person. Uh, and of course, the lyrics of the song are yeah. uh, are uh, apropos of yeah. that event. So those two, uh, what I what I dubbed uh, for myself uh, New York moments, those are two probably pretty powerful uh, wow. musical experiences for me. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. I like it that mm. you that you had an experience outside the music 
that even was a part of the music experience. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Find out mm-hmm. that information. Yeah. That's just... Uh, so the reason why I took, I asked you to go first, Travis, is because there are too many, too many things for me to, to express. And so I wanted to just to nail it down to one woman. Her name is Concha Buica, mm-hmm. and she is a Spanish flamenco singer. Mm-hmm. And I happened upon her. She was uh, featured in... Pedro Adamovar's film, um, The Skin I Live In. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she was there singing both a sort of upbeat tune as well as a slower pruning tune. And mm-hmm. when I first saw her, the way he introduces her, you hear her singing, and then you just see this visual image in the camera, you know, zooms in, and she's amazing. She's just, mm. she sounds like every word means something, you know. So some people can sing, but they don't interpret. Or some people have great lyrics, and they just don't, they're just not in the song. Every song she's in, you know, she's, she just tears me up. I see her every time she comes to New York City. And she is, what can I tell you about her? She's, um, the song she sings that I cry every single time is called Voveras. And she just starts the way, it, if you ever get a chance, just go to YouTube and listen to Voveras by Concha Buica. She does it differently, but it's that mourning in her voice and that beauty in her voice. I cry every single time she, she does that. And maybe roughly, I'd say around 2011, I started hanging out with a friend of mine named Sean Bimpong, who Seth knows. Sean is a singer, and he listens to everything. And he's just like, he is really just Wikipedia in his body. He's just, you know, he knows about everything. <laughs> but he helped me get over my, what I was, I was sort of like finding myself going, oh, there's no good music today. I wasn't finding things that, that, that broke my heart or that were dynamic. You know, a lot of music today doesn't have a lot of dynamic range. It's just very, there's no, mm-hmm. oh, there's a guitar and there's a piano and there's this and oh, and they're echoing the, uh, the background voices. No, there's just, Beyonce singing, singing, dun, 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 you know, and so it feels like an assault. And there are certain kinds of like singer songwriters. I was listening to, for example, Fleetwood Max's um, Dreams. Now, this song is amazing. They took a year or more to create Rumors, that album, and they just layered that song. So you got the lyrics, you have Stevie singing, you have Lindsey Buckingham's guitar, you have Chrissy McVie's um, uh, organ, and you have the three-part harmony that doesn't seem like it should work based on their voices, but it does. And I vibrate with, with a, a certain kind of energy when I hear music that they've labored over and they've thought about, and there are surprises in it, and there's a turn of phrase here that's cute. And they're adult, like, you know, what you mentioned earlier about lyrics, sure, I love a lot of pop music in my 80s when it was just, oh, let's have fun and whatever, but I crave the adult rapper. I crave, you know, for certain kinds of singers to sing more adult lyrics or just, you know, you know more, in, more in depth. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to say about that. Yeah. So, yeah, so I want to just, I want to just, as is my, you know, typical habit, I want to sort of give concrete examples for how, I'll use your word, Travis, which is I think better than my, uh, the one I'd use. Vapid. I think of think of I think of CNC Music Factory. I don't know if you guys remember them, but CNC <laughs> Music Factory. Of course I do. Huge in the, I think <laughs> early nineties, and and this lyric stuck in my head because mm-hmm. it was so vapid. From the bottom to the top, from the top to the bottom. Mm, I got them. That's pretty much it. That was a <laughs> lyric in the hit song. Right. And and so, you know, when you when you put that up against someone like, I mean, the easy one is Stevie Wonder. Right. 
As around the earth the sun knows she's revolving, as the rosebuds know to bloom in early May, just as hate knows love's the cure, you can rest your mind assured that I'll be loving you. Always. 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 God, yes. I mean, come on. Right? Like there's no yes. there is no comparison, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. There is just it's and and I and I think part of the reason why I have this limitation with listening to music that is that is seductive in that sort of in that sort of mm. meaning mm-hmm. in that sort of way it, it 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 plays out a story or plays out a a a, a lyric um mm-hmm. that's poetic is that my mind goes away from my work right because mm-hmm. I go to Stevie when he's singing mm-hmm. that right so I can't I yeah, can't, that's my experience too. Yeah, it just takes me out of what I'm doing because what he has to say is so powerful, and mm-hmm. the way he's saying it is so demanding of my attention. Um, but I want to, I want to, I want to get back to. There was something else. I, you said you had should, a second question. Yeah, yeah. That. Thank you. So I had this experience in college. Oh yeah, and, and this this dovetails with what you had talked about in terms of dynamic range, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this this experience in college where I began listening to jazz because I was at a special semester for the honors program, mm-hmm. and there were some kids from all around the U.S. who came to New York for it, and I ended up rooming them with this guy. I forget where he was from, but he was from somewhere in the Midwest. Okay, and mm-hmm. he had a huge portfolio of uh, CD collection. And I was flipping through it one, one night when he was out of the room, uh, apartment uh, room we shared. And I saw this bunch of stuff by Miles Davis. And I'd always heard about Miles Davis and heard that he was so mm. badass and such a great musician. And I thought, oh, mm. but I never, I never actually listened to him um, up mm. until that point. So I just took out the CD and I put it in. And I sat there. And, when, and I'm still kind of this way. When I really listen to music, I don't do anything else. Wow. I just listen mm. to music. So mm-hmm. I sat there. Yeah, same for me as well. Yeah, and I listened to the album called Sketches of Spain. And I, honest to God, I heard orchestra, I heard instruments that I'd never, like maybe I'd heard them before, but I never knew I heard them. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Here, like, this music made me aware that I was listening to a kind of, the music was, it was like a, a house. It had architecture to it. Oh, wow. And, I wow. Finally, and I finally began to appreciate it. And I sat there and listened to the whole album. And then it got to the end and I played it again. And I sat there and I listened to it again. And I literally listened to that album every day for the next six months. Wow. Every day. I would come mm. home and I would just listen. I would, and I would, I would sit there just kind of wondering like, how it all kind of fit together was astonishing. So my question to you guys is like, have you ever had that kind of experience where you had to listen to something over and over and over again to sort of like finally like understand it, come to grips with it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, but Stephen, why don't you why don't you go <laughs> first this time? Um, I think it's and it's a pop it's a pop album, but I just thought it was magnificent. It's Purple Rain. Mm. It's Purple Rain. I mean, I remember that I was listening to the radio in 1984, the the time they debuted debuted, When Doves Cry, because it was shortly after Marvin Gaye Sr. killed Marvin Gaye Jr., and I remember like linking those two, those two uh, memories co-located each other, or loca- co-located in hearing Prince's um, opening guitar. Mm. And up until that time, Prince had pretty much was going from one album to another with different styles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 
the Purple Rain album just sounded like one, if it was fuller than any other album that he had done in terms of the dense instrumentation, mm. it didn't sound so lonely or sound so singular. Mm-hmm. And it was a big thing that Prince was a multi instrumentalist, but that the band was on this. There was the revolution, mm-hmm. and every song was riveting. I mean, there were some were more riveting than others, but I remember hearing "When Doves Cry" and just going, "What is that? Mm-hmm. What is that? There's no bass." Um, <laughs> Prince never sounded as mature on that album and and for years after that in some cases he didn't sound mm-hmm. as mature mm-hmm. that album just really took me out and made me i got it i got the cassette and would play it over and over and over again do you remember that the record was purple that yes i do because i yeah, had it i and, did too yeah yeah i had yeah. the purple yeah yeah i had the purple wow. version of yeah. purple rain yeah that is yeah. cool oh my goodness mm. it, so they they put a lot of money into this album, you know, and a lot of time. And I was listening to one of the band members, Bobby Z, say that if you notice that the the songs sound fuller, it's because Prince had to take his time with these songs because mm. he was doing a movie. And so mm. he couldn't just put a song out or say, I'm done with this and move on. Mm. He really thought about how we relate to the visual. Mm. And so it's definitely more dense. And just uh, for a pop album, it's pretty magnificent mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah, yeah, it's that, funny yeah. that you you remember that brought me back. I you know I we've talked about the memory thing, right? So for me, as far as cart- continuity and 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 contiguity and like how I chain things together, mm-hmm. uh, and that that brought a whole flood of me- I. Uh, uh, man, I listened to Purple Rain uh, a lot when mm. I was and I was young, um, mm. and mm-hmm. uh, I remember arguing with my dad about some of the songs because you know, I mean, my dad <laughs> basically let me listen to whatever, but but you know he would get annoyed when he would hear the lyrics and stuff like that. Raspberry mm-hmm. Beret, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, anyway, so mm-hmm. I just uh, how old were you? Uh, young, I don't know. I mean, what year did it come out? Nineteen eighty four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was 11. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. So I was. Wow. 11. Wow. Um, yeah. I'm. I. Uh, yeah. That's so funny. I hadn't really even. And that's when I remember. It's like, oh yeah, they had that purple album, and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and uh, I. It was. Uh, it also recalled to me something. I have a friend. I hadn't. Uh, that's the funny thing about music, right? It, it's evocative of all these sort of moments in time. Uh, Damien, who was from New York, and. Um, he was uh, Dominican, uh, and uh, you know he and I were. He was the only. I think he was the only Dominican, only black kid in uh, in our elementary school. And for whatever reason, he and I became friends. And I used to go over to his house, and he had friends from New York that would send him all these uh, tapes, these rap tapes. So I got to. I was listening to like all this rap music that never got played on the radio here wow. in California at the time. That's cool. Uh, and I had completely <laughs> forgotten about Damien. I mean, we were we were super tight. We were really wow. good friends. Wow. We ended up going to two different schools. And uh, but anyway, so. Uh, uh, if for me, um, the fir- I'll go with my original answer, even though it's uh, significantly changed uh, after hearing uh, Stephen's description of Purple Rain. Uh, it was probably the album Anthem by Leonard Cohen. Oh, wow. Mm. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that was my first Leonard Cohen album, uh, even though it's a much later Leonard Cohen album, obviously. Um, and uh, obviously, if you uh, know anything about Leonard Cohen, but uh, he uh, and that was that was the first time where I was just like, 
holy shit, <laughs> you can do a lot lyrically with yeah. music. So weirdly, Leonard Cohen was my way into other far more well-known artists like Bob Dylan. Mm. Um, so I started kind of seeking out mm. uh, more uh, uh, lyrically involved music, uh, poetry really, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, uh, so, uh, and I, I the, the obviously the probably most famous song from that album is Democracy. Um, in that you know the sign where he says uh, I'm sentimental if you know what I mean I love the country but I can't stand the scene <laughs> and I'm neither left or right I'm just staying home tonight getting lost in that hopeless little screen uh, and uh, I thought I thought he I thought he captured so much about America mm. uh, in that album in mm. Anthem and uh, in its promise and its uh, profound and often petty disappointments. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. Yeah. Those are all these are all great stories actually. <laughs> and I love how they are they're all quite different. Yeah. Um uh, 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 but the, but I mean ultimately we're all talking about the, the being wrapped up in that experience. It's it's a multi-layered experience, right? So it's both mm. an education and it's a kind of sensitization. Mm. So that like mm-hmm. one of the things that I've noticed, yeah, now that I'm talking about it, one of the things that's that's this kind of through line for all our stories is that in some ways that experience turned us on to um, other kinds of similar experiences. So mm-hmm. had us how does somehow learn to be attuned to these particular nuances, right, of, of lyrical delivery or uh, 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 profound poetry or the density of orchestration, uh, the use of instruments? Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I just, I mean, maybe that's one of the hallmarks, too, of, of what we can call great music, right? And that not only is the experience of listening to it great, but somehow it increases your capacity to hear mm-hmm. that greatness. Oh, no, I completely mm-hmm. agree. Completely yeah. agree. I have a very quick story. I know we're running up on our time, but I just mm, want to yeah, mention no, this no, please, please, because no, yeah, to me it it, it, embod- it it exemplifies what I was trying to get at earlier with the question. So this um <clears throat> this Sunday, uh, I was working with a group of students. I go to Third World Newsreels production workshop, and we our group project is around talking to uh, P- um, POC filmmakers of color, talking talking with them about their work mm-hmm. essentially. And mm-hmm. so we came upon a my by man by the, a man named Sean Walker, who is a photographer who became a filmmaker and started working with Newsreel back in the mid-late 60s. And so he has a wonderful apartment. His apartment is always filled with music, and he's generally always playing jazz. He says he has an ear for other music, but jazz is what he, what he loves. And so in the pre-interview, I was talking to him about some of our, my favorite jazz artists, and he mentioned some of his, and he said a friend of his gave him the Thelonious Monk album, Brilliant Colors. Hmm. And it was the first time he heard jazz like that and that Hmm. it inspired him to seek his own eye, that it was okay to be different because Mm. people were constantly, I can't play Monk or what is he talking about or what is he doing? And he said, when I listened to the album as as a youngster, he just knew that it was okay for him to be a different kind of photographer or a different kind of filmmaker. Mm. Mm. And that just, mm. I love that. And I was like, this is mm-hmm. just, I, I went home and I played Brilliant Colors and I knew it. I didn't know that I knew it by the, by the name, but I was so excited. I was like, music that sets you free. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great connection. That. That's a great connection with Seth's observation too. I love that. Um, we, uh, I think we're we're up on time. I want to make a small uh, correction. I had mentioned Raspberry Beret. Um, I know that's uh, that's that is from the movie. It was in the movie. It was not on the album. Uh, that was oh, from really? like the yeah. It's okay. uh, it's uh, uh, it's from that next album that he put out. In, it wasn't really uh, in, in the movie though, eight. Travis. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, I'm a Prince guy. Okay. Oh, wait, it was in 1999, wasn't it? <laughs> no, Raspberry Beret was no. on Around the World in the Day, which came yeah. out oh. after Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. It was the lead single. Mm-hmm. Okay, so can I just share one last thing? Like the, the Prince <laughs> lyric that has stuck with me, which I've used before. I, don't, I haven't done this in a while, but I've used it before to tell people, to illustrate what great storytelling and music can be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's from um, Sign of the Times, um, mm. the song. He says... Um, the lyric is, last June, my cousin tried reefer for the... No, no, last summer, my cousin tried reefer, that is marijuana, tried reefer for the very first <laughs> Thank time. Thank you for glossing that. <laughs> oh, for, the, for the listeners who may not know, I mean, reefer just sounds real 80s to me, but last cousin, <laughs> last, last summer, my cousin tried reefer for the very first time. Now he's doing horse. It's June. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just he just gets it. Like he just it just it's a yeah. story, right? Like right Sign there. of the Times, yes. Yeah. So, so now, now I have to now my now I'm so I have to ask Steven. So did they feature images from the movie in the music video for Raspberry Beret? No. <laughs> no. In fact, if anything, Raspberry Beret was recorded when they were on tour for Purple Rain. So wow. Prince, okay. during um, during stops on his, you know, for the concerts, he would record here uh-huh. and there. But yeah, he recorded that album while he was on tour for Purple Rain. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. And you're sure the music video didn't have anything, any uh, images from the movie? Would you like to make it uh, interesting? <laughs> no, I definitely would not. I'm, I am definitely not at all challenging. <laughs> The expansiveness to say of your Prince knowledge. <laughs> I just uh, want to say but that. But I'm just, I'm just wondering why, because I knew after I had said that, I knew that was wrong about it being on the album. But mm-hmm. I have such a strong memory of it uh, being connected with the movie for some reason. But it mm-hmm. must just be a false memory. So I just want to suggest that we do a round two of this, not necessarily next week, but at some point. Yeah, absolutely. 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 So, all right, my friends, thank you for the conversation, Seth and Stephen. Thank, thank you. you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, back to you.